Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. Break it down. It's the king. Oh, you didn't know? Stand back. I'm a nice man. I'm a seat Do you smell what the rock is cooking? Eat me. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 150, and it's about the themes of Barry Horowitz. And today I am joined by a returning guest here on the show. He's a contributor at Voices of Wrestling. It's John Hernandez. Hello, John. Hey, Andrew. How you doing? I'm, I'm good. How are you? To, I'm, I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back on an episode where I hopefully have a much more positive outlook than last time I was on. Um, and I think, uh, I think I will because we're talking about a subject near and dear to my heart. Yeah, last time you were on was about two years ago. It was the 2020 year-end episode, which... Um, Looking back, uh, those were some bleak days, I think, yeah, given everything that happened uh, back then. Um, in fact, I believe we recorded that um, the day after Brody Lee died. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we could do this under much uh, much brighter circumstances, John. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that that was the day. It might have been, I guess, I guess, the night before the news had gotten out about Brody Lee. Yeah, a, uh, a dark cloud was hanging over that episode, and it wasn't helped by the... Uh, that Anderson and Gallows theme we had to talk about. <laughs> Listen, when the devil's in your six, you got to talk about it, okay? You, you have to. I mean, come on. But... Yeah, that's a rough one. Yeah, but um, but this is actually a pretty big episode to be on because it's not just episode 150, which is a nice milestone there, but this is actually the first episode of the show that I'm doing as a 30-year-old man. Um, it was my birthday a little over a week ago, and uh, I'm now 30 years old. So, uh, yeah, it's it's all downhill from here, John, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because there was actually a point on that episode I was on last time where I said, um, Andrew, I think we are around the same age. And just because you're an encyclopedia who's <laughs> so quick on, uh, uh, I mean, people call you the robot because of uh, what a resource you are with uh, wrestling knowledge. I always kind of assumed you were around my age. And I found out after that, uh, that you were still in your 20s. Um, I'm, I'm 35. I'm not I'm not ancient or anything. But now that you're 30, you're right. It is all downhill. Everything sucks from here on out. We pretty much are the same age now. Uh, welcome to the club. Mm. Yeah, I woke up on my birthday and uh, my back was aching. My knees were shot. My hair had fallen out. It's it's all over for your pal Andrew there. But um, but no, in all seriousness, I feel the same. 
nothing has changed really. Um, only thing that's changed, I think, is I, I no longer have the comfort blanket of saying, hey, I'm not old, I'm only in my 20s. That's out the window now, baby. <laughs> can't use that one anymore. But uh, look, it, it happens to all of us, John. It's just, it's a fact of life. We can't help it. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, I, I, um, I had a different version of that. I used to have all these goals for my life um, that I'd be like, yeah, I'll just get them done before I'm 30. Like I would have, I would quit smoking before I was 30. I would have my master's degree by the time I was 30. Um, and yeah, well, when I turned 30, none of that shit had happened. Um, hopefully you're doing better than I was when I turned 30. I have quit smoking and I'm about to finish a bachelor's degree. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess the big thing about turning 30 is just do it better than I did. I'll do my best. I, I don't smoke already, so I have that going for me at least. So there you go. You got the um, head start on me. Yeah. 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 But, um. But anyway, uh, we are here today to talk about the themes of one, Barry Horowitz. And you might be out there thinking, Barry Horowitz, why are you doing an episode about him? Well, it's December, it's the holiday season, which means that Hanukkah is right around the corner. Uh, I believe this year it starts on the 18th. Uh, I'm Jewish. John, you're Jewish as well. I mm. thought, hey, why not do a Hanukkah special, break out the menorah, spin the dreidel, eat some gelt, the whole nine yards, and celebrate one of the most iconic Jewish pro wrestlers of all time. And uh, not to get too serious here, but um, I think it's especially important to do an episode like this nowadays, given um, where we are with anti-Semitism and its prevalence in society today. I mean, it's still very much a problem. Uh, we just had Kanye West go on Alex Jones and talk about how much he loves Hitler and the Nazis, for God's sake. So, yeah, and, and when I hear stuff like that, you know, it does get my dander up. Um, I'm not a very observant Jew. I don't keep kosher. I haven't been to temple in years, but um, it's still my heritage. It's still my DNA. And uh, I do have years and years of Hebrew school and learning about the Holocaust and anti-Semitism, you know, drilled into my brain at this point. So I, I do feel the need to um, balance the scales somewhat and, you know, bring some positivity to the proceedings. Um, that's, that's the way I see it anyway, John. You know, I actually I'm glad you brought that all up because for what it's worth, being a uh, being a fan of pro wrestling, uh, I feel like pro wrestling has often punished me as a Jew. We'll <laughs> talk about that in this episode. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I think. Uh, I'm, I think with Judaism specifically, more than most religions, I think there's a cultural aspect of it. Uh, that's much more prevalent than uh, in a lot of people than observing. And I'm also not a urban Jew, but I also was bar mitzvahed. And uh, if I recall correctly, there were TV set up where people could play SmackDown 2 for the PlayStation in my bar mitzvah. So I'm a real one in every way. But like you said, um, I think in this current day and age uh, where somehow uh, anti-Semitism has gotten a voice again, um, I think we could use some wins and we could use some recognition of some of Judaism's biggest winners. And it's unfortunate that we won't be doing that today. <laughs> yes. Yes. We'll get to that aspect of him for sure. But, um, but before this episode, I was looking at a list of Jewish wrestlers and there aren't that many of them. Um, just like there aren't that many Jews in the world, just in general, uh, we are a minority after all, but uh, looking at the names here, you have people like Goldberg, Raven, Colt Cabana, 
uh, you know, Paul Heyman, Missy Hyatt, uh, Matt Seidel, A-Train, The Grand Wizard, The Malenkos, Billy Kidman, Drew Gulak, MJF, of course. Um, I believe Randy Savage and Lenny Poffo are half-Jewish on their mother's side. And there's a few more after that, too. But Barry Horowitz, in particular, I think, is a guy who isn't just a wrestler who is Jewish. He is a Jewish wrestler. He came out to have a Nagila. He wore the Star of David on his trunks. He used his own name, Horowitz, which is a very Jewish name for most of his career. You know, he made being Jewish, like, part of his wrestling persona. Not not for all of his career, and not to a super over-the-top extent, which we'll get to, but when I think of Barry Horowitz, I don't just think of a guy who patted himself on the back a lot of times. I think of him being, like, you know, a very notable Jewish wrestler as well, John. Yeah, and I think you bringing up his name is also... Uh, an interesting point because there are very few Jewish wrestlers who had, you know, there aren't any uh, Coens out there winning championships. Um, <laughs> and the other one, funny enough, is Goldberg. Uh, I always thought it was cool that Goldberg's name was Goldberg and he never got uh, pegged with a different name. And now, you know, so the, so the, the balance, the spectrum of Jewy last names and wrestling has been Horowitz to Goldberg, someone who never lost and someone who exclusively lost. And thankfully, now we have MJF, uh, a freedman out there, tipping the scales back in favor for us. Yeah, kicking the door open for, you know, world champion Chaim Lipschitz, you know, just <laughs> <laughs> Moisha title bomb. The, the future is ours, John. The future is ours, all right? <laughs> oh, I can see it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but um, but yeah, the other notable aspect about Barry's you know career and all that, and you mentioned this, of course, is that he is arguably the most famous wrestling loser of all time. Um, I know he's on record for not liking the term jobber. He prefers enhancement guy, but regardless, he lost a lot of matches over the years. Uh, according to Cage Match, they have 1,524 matches of his on record. He lost 81% of those matches. That's a lot of losses. And based on how many matches he has, he made a career out of it. He made a career out of being the loser and being the guy who put other guys over. And you can do that in wrestling. You know, if you look at it as like filling a role and you're good at it and you're happy with being in that role, you can do it for a very long time. I mean, right now, one of my favorite lower card guys in the EW is Serpentico who just became the first guy there to have 100 losses because he's really great at putting people over. And there have been plenty of guys like that in wrestling over the years, but, you know, I think Barry Horowitz is looked at as, like, the ultimate icon of wrestling losers, John. Well, I think that there's a lot to be said about uh, about lo- uh, famous losers in history uh, in pro wrestling. Um, and I... I I think this might only extend to uh, wrestling nerds like us, but we remember those people who stick around and take those pins Um, and people like Barry Horowitz and the Brooklyn brawler. uh, I mean, think of it like this. I mean, it's a fake sport. Uh, Those wins. Someone told you to go out there and win and lose. Barry Horowitz was in prominent positions wrestling for major companies for over two decades right um something like that uh maybe a decade and a half he's in pretty prominent positions that's a great career people who uh 
people who had much more kayfabe success than Barry Horowitz did not have the longevity of Barry Horowitz. I agree. I mean, to me, it's no different than like a character actor who maybe gets typecast as like a cop or a mob guy, but still gets steady work for years and years and years because they're good at the role and someone has to do it. So why not them? And in Barry's case, he wasn't just good at it. It eventually got him this like big moment where he beats Skip, Chris Candido on TV out of nowhere. And the announcers are all shocked. Horowitz beat him. Horowitz beat him. And then he beat him again on pay-per-view at SummerSlam and a few weeks later in a 10-minute match. And from then on, he became like, you know, an actual character on the show, which for someone like him, who for so long was just at the bottom of the totem pole, that is amazing. And I don't think it has anywhere near the impact or staying power in people's minds if Barry was just like some standard mid-carder with like a 50-50 record. He had to be in that, you know, perpetual enhancement role for it to work, I think, John. Yeah, and I, I think, um, like you said, there's a lot of guys in the mid-card of WCW and WWF in the years he worked for them that we'll never think of again. And I think Barry Horowitz, uh, to some extent, would be in our memories, even if that big win over Skip didn't come. Um, and the thing, too, that I learned uh, getting ready for this is Barry Horowitz has had long losing streak angles in multiple companies over his career. And the WWF one wasn't the first time that happened. Uh, the guy really knew how to monetize losing. And the other thing about Barry too, is people liked working with him. And in the rare occasion, you can find a match where he gets some time. Uh, Horowitz, like until like, you know, pretty much until like the end of the WCW run, he can go. Like yeah. I just watched him uh, get squashed by Ric Flair on uh, on like a TV match, a studio match, and he's he's kicking ass out there. Yeah, I mean, losing or not, it's still important to remember that this guy was you know a good, solid wrestler in the ring, no doubt about it. And yeah, as we go along here, we'll see that Barry's career is more than just Hava Nagila. You know, he was in various NWA territories in the eighties. He was in and out of WWF many times. He did all Japan tours. He was in WCW. I mean, this year, he came back to wrestling after like a decade, and he wrestled with Joey Janela. And he was also on the WrestleCon Super Show this year, and he was on Dynamite when MJF did that fake Dark Side of the Ring video in the Wardlow feud. He made a cameo as legendary Jewish wrestler Barry Horowitz. So... Yeah, he's still popping up after all these years, John. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, look, it speaks to what a memorable guy he is. I mean, for me, that memory comes from the fact that he <laughs> walked out to Hava Nagila and got his ass kicked every night. <laughs> but, I mean, it's there. Everyone who everyone who follows this stuff knows who this guy is. Uh, and, you know, he's my avatar and the voices of wrestling discord for a reason. He's an icon. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, plus, Action Bronson once wrote a song called Barry Horowitz, which samples his ring introduction, and there's the line, it's Barry Horowitz rap, I pat myself on the back, don't fake the funk on a nasty dunk, Shaq I attack. So the man's a crossover cultural star to boot, John. How about that? I didn't know that. That's so cool. <laughs> I wonder what it's like for... I like what. I wonder what it's like for Horowitz now. Um... Like, I wonder how he looks back on the recognition he's gotten. Uh, 
he's got is there there's no figure like Barry Horowitz in history. Um, and I wonder how much that name like extends beyond the nerdiest of wrestling fans. I have no real scope on it because I'm the nerdiest of wrestling fans. But uh, you know, that's cool. I mean, that's a lasting that's a lasting legacy. Uh, lots of guys from from his era I'll never think of again. No one's rapping about him. Uh, I don't I don't receive uh, I don't receive cameos as gifts for my engagement from. Uh, oh, I'm trying to think from not getting them from Freddie Joe Floyd. You know, or T.L. Hopper getting them from Barry Horowitz. Well, I think Freddie Joe would be hard to get nowadays considering he's dead, you know, because oh, right, <laughs> that's Tracy Smothers. But uh, regardless, regardless. Um... You know what's funny? The, the first person I was going to say was Chris Candido. And then I paused. Yeah, he's also he's gone. Dead, right, so I right. just named a different dead guy. Ugh. <laughs> it's okay. You, you can atone at Yom Kippur. How about that? <laughs> So let's get to these themes here. Uh, we have seven to get to. And um, Barry made his wrestling debut in 79, uh, trained by Boris Malenko. And uh, it's funny, he didn't always go by Barry Horowitz at first. He had a few different names early on. In early 80s WWF, he was Barry Hart, H-A-R-T. Then he went to Mid-Atlantic and was Barry Hart there too. He was also Bret Hart, B-R-E-T-T-H-A-R-T. I uh, wonder where that didn't stick. Uh, and then he went to Championship Wrestling from Florida in the mid-80s, where he got the name Jack Hart. And uh, that would be his name until he went back to the WWF in the late 80s and became Barry Horowitz there full-time. So, again, much like an actor changing their name to hide their Jewishness, so too did Barry, it seems, John. Yeah, and it's a shame. But, no, I, I don't know. I think... Uh... I also wonder. So when does this? When does the switch to being Barry Horowitz happen? Is it in the WWF run? Did Vince I believe always so, know? Yes. Oh man, that's crazy. Did Vince always know he was going to do this? Did Vince know from day one he was going to march this guy out with the Star of David on the screen <laughs> and just stomp his ass to pieces for years? I mean, <laughs> oh, it's Vince, Vince, so we can never give him the benefit of the doubt. But you know. It's too perfect. It's too perfect. too perfect. It works too well, but yeah. Um, but anyway, we'll start off here with the themes in CWF in Florida when he was Jack Hart. This is where he gets this song. It's by Van Halen off the album in 1984. This is Jump. played this song before on the show. It's been used by a ton of people in wrestling. Eddie Guerrero, the Von Erichs, Bullador Jr., Greg Gagne, and, uh, well, Barry Horowitz. 
quite the crew there. Uh, and what I like about Jump is that it's not just a great song, of course, but it's important to let people know that, again, we won't just be talking about Havana Gila. You know, we, even though that is his most well-known song, we're going to go to some different genres and bands on this episode. And a good way to dip our toes into that mindset is 80s Van Halen, John. Yeah, um, there's, there's, there's a lot of meat on the boat there. Um, I mean, so the, the Jack Hart run is super interesting to me for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, one is that I didn't know this until more recently, but he had a long losing streak angle happen that ended with him picking up the vacant uh, Florida championship. Uh, the NWA, like the CW, whatever the NWA belt that the CWF used. And he wins that in 85. And in 85, that's no dumpy territory. The next year, a match with Barry Windham and Flair there wins the Observer match of the year. Well, Luger's getting started there. So it's hard to envision, but Barry Horowitz, you know, coming out to jump to a cool song, winning a match or two, it was happening. Totally different guy. Um, granted, once he got past losing a a kayfabe number of 120 straight matches, um, but it's cool. And you know, I uh, maybe maybe this was a hint of what was to come because David Lee is a famous Jew. That's uh, right, famously outspoken Jew. And David Lee Roth used to say that part of his overblown Van Halen persona came from wanting to shake stereotypes around Jews at the time. And maybe Horowitz had that same intention and just decided to completely shake that intention once he got the Vince. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, looking at the other songs here, the only one that emphasizes him being Jewish is Havana Gila, right. which he only had for like a two-year period in the WWF. Everything else is, you know, not going in that Jewish direction. Even though, yeah, David Lee Roth is Jewish, this song is not, oy vey, he jumped. You know, it's yeah. not like that at all. So, again, it's a good way to introduce that notion of him, you know, being more than just the Havana Gila guy. Yeah, and, and I don't mean it uh, to, though I do have a hard time uh, not making everything I say about Barry Horowitz end in a punchline. I don't mean it to um, de-emphasize I think it's important to recognize everything he did that wasn't a caricature of his fate, but it's hard not to look at this stuff through the context of what we all recognize him for and what we would come to associate him with after uh, after the WWF gimmick is introduced. But yeah, no, I mean, I also, bec- I mean, you know, I think of him it, it changes. Like I think of like Barry Horowitz back then. Uh, imagine hanging out with Barry Horowitz back then, man. Hanging out in Florida, Jack guy, coming out to jump, wrestling <laughs> Ric Flair sometimes, Barry <laughs> Windham. Kind of he's a cool. Seems like a cool guy back then. There's a practical element here too, I think, because you know you can't have Jack Hart, NWA Florida Heavyweight Champion. And just have him like be in the ring with no music. Like he has to have a proper entrance, the proper song. Even though he was just champion for like forty days or whatever, still the presentation of a champion matters. So I think there's that element there too with this song, John. Yeah. Um 
and like you said, like he has to be presented as someone. I mean, granted, it is beginning the beginning of him having a comic reliefy element because he wins it. He wins a vacant belt after a long losing streak. But, uh, you know, he's still presented as a professional wrestler who to a live audience needs to be perceived as a threat. Uh, and look, in the mid 80s, walking out to jump is pretty fucking cool. Mm hmm. So we're going to skip ahead now to 92. Uh, that's when Barry starts doing tours with All Japan Pro Wrestling. Misawa, Kobashi, Kawada, Taue, Horowitz. And Barry had a few themes in All Japan. The first one he only used once, and for a very good reason, which we'll get to. This is by Two Live Crew off the album Sports Weekend, As Nasty As They Want to Be Part 2. This is Pop That Pussy. <laughs> Damn! Shit! Look at the ass on that bitch! Look at the titties! This requires an explanation, I think. Uh, according to a tweet from our good pal Roy Lucier, uh, Barry used this song for a match against Kenta Kobashi on July 11th, 1992. It was in Akita, Japan, and all Japan management were not happy about it. Um, now, Roy says in the tweet that Barry used Pop That Coochie, which is the single version where they clean it up a little bit, but everywhere else says Pop That Pussy. And there's no footage, we're out of luck there, but regardless, it's still an objectively funny situation. I mean, God love Barry Horowitz, I, I just don't think of him as a super horny, raunchy ladies' man, John. Just not really in his wheelhouse, I don't think, in terms of character work. Well, that's the vision of Barry Horowitz I was trying to set up when I was talking about thinking of him in Florida. Just being a Jack Tan guy coming at the jump. He wanted you to know that he can be a horny dude. <laughs> and this is how we showed it. You know, I, I think of, I mean, obviously, I'm being ridiculous and the timelines don't work out here. But I, I think of this as, what if what if history changed in the moment he walked out to pop that pussy? Like, we know Baba had, I mean, by 92, things were in motion with the pillars. But we know Baba had this, like, you know, admiration for for the Western presentation of wrestling through through the 80s. Barry Horowitz comes over. He walks out to pop that pussy. Baba goes, well, he's in the WWF. Maybe this is what they're doing over there. <laughs> and history changes in that moment. Like maybe when Misawa wins that first title, give me that nut by Easy e plays. Uh, Rainmaker shock happens. My neck, my back flares through, <laughs> through the speakers. This really could have been, this could have changed the way we look at wrestling forever. Um, 
But no, I don't understand how this happened. This is completely ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's. But let's though, not... Andrew, I gotta tell you, I gotta tell you, I was a little disappointed when you when you introduced this song, because as a guest and a listener to the podcast, there's no song I was more looking forward to you reading lyrics from than pop I, I was rubbing my hands together when you when you intro I, I don't think i even i have my limits here okay I, <laughs> and listen i i've read some very bonkers explicit lyrics on this show but this is <laughs> uh, this might be just too gross for me i think i don't know <laughs> um maybe you I know what it gross is reading it silently yeah yeah I mean, maybe what it is is it's because he used it in 90s all japan against Kobashi. Like, this is the holy ground of pro wrestling. And here's good old Barry coming out to pop that pussy. Hey, pop that pussy, baby. Like, I'm just picturing Giant Baba sitting backstage, you know. All of a sudden he hears, I like big booty and big old titties. Bitch, you know you've been fucked by many. And (laughs) the cigar falls out of his mouth and... Mrs. Baba is there with the shock look on her face like, oh, Barry, what what have you done, buddy? What have you done? <laughs> I'm just imagining like, so, I mean, this wasn't the first song he walked out to in All Japan. So I'm just imagining one day he's wrestling Kenta Kobashi and he goes to the sound guy or something and hands him a copy of like Nasty As They Want to Be by Two Live Crew. And he goes, yeah, track six today <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, whatever album and track it is. But uh, just completely fucking insane i i want the footage so bad there's so many lost holy grails in wrestling um you know like fan cams that you hear exist and you're dying to see and none of them mean more to me than i don't even need the match i need barry horowitz walking to the ring to pop <laughs> that pussy i'll take that over anything that's out there yeah it's crazy and i remember this is 92 this is still in the heyday of when two live crew were like public enemy number one when it came to obscenity. Like their albums were pulled from stores, people got arrested for selling them. Like a big reason why they introduced the parental advisory sticker on albums is because of two live crew. So if Barry did indeed pick the song to come out to, he's got some balls. I'll give him that. He's got some big balls there, John. Well, Barry Horowitz was uh you know, he was a freedom fighter for free speech. Like much like Elon Musk today, some of them <laughs> <laughs> very important figures fighting for our rights, um, and I take them both equally seriously. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, maybe his mindset was like you know, '90s All Japan. They have these real songs being played, like Danger Zone and I Love It Loud and Welcome to the Jungle. One of I these follow days. you up to this point, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe you saw that and was like, hey, I'll just pick a real song too. But this stands alone. I mean, this version, the Coochie version, whatever it actually was, this song and these lyrics being on the same show as like Spartan X and Grand Sword, it's just, it's, it's, it's too funny. It's way too funny, John. <laughs> yeah, I think I could see him saying... Well, they come out to real songs here. Uh, Maybe I'll pick one. And that's where my understanding of it ends. Because, Andrew, there are so many songs in this world. There are so (laughs) many good songs in this world. But he specifically chose this one. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I admire it. Look, um, we talk about uh, how the pillars were, how the King's Road style embodies 
courage and heart. And I don't know if anyone exemplified that more than uh, Barry Horowitz walking out to pop that pussy on Giant Baba's walk. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, by all we know, it was a one-time thing. But um, Barry kept on in all Japan. Got another theme here. This is by Vinnie Moore, uh, current guitarist for the band UFO. Off the album Meltdown, it's called Cinema. <laughs> This is a hard pivot away from the previous song here into the realm of instrumental hard rock. And this is a good song. It's a fine song. Good guitar work. Not much to dig into, really, especially in comparison to Two Live Crew. It's nowhere near as exciting as that. But, uh, hey, what is, John? Am I right? What is? <laughs> Truly, yeah. Um, this is uh, this is the ba- this song is the bathroom break match of the podcast, having to follow the five-star classic that is pop that pussy (laughs) um the i do think this song um i as a uh, when i was younger i used to call music like this capcom menu music it's this like it's and it's all there's a lot of japanese wrestling themes through history and today that make me feel this way this just like very specific kind of lead guitar music that makes me feel the same way as like white noise um that sounds mean maybe i don't know it's true i uh i get the feeling of like the dvd menu loop too many times when i hear music like this like uh uh but uh i got in and this here's here's something i'll get some shit for i feel the same way about shingo's new japan music that's the modern version of that for me um but uh you know I didn't know it was the guy from UFO. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he's been in the band for quite a while now. I think like 20 years or so. Um, my key takeaway from this is that it's the most traditionally badass and serious sounding song we've had so far. Because Jump is, you know, very 80s party rock kind of thing. Pop That Pussy is extremely horny. Uh, but this is just straightforward guitar shredding, which... Again, we're not used to that tone with Barry. Not that All Japan are pushing him as like a real badass kind of guy. He did lose a lot of matches there too. Um, but to me, music like this, you could picture him as like just a standard, serious, athletic guy who's here to wrestle. And he's going to get in there with Misawa and Kabashi and Akira Taui or whomever. And he'll give him the business. And he'll give him his best. So um, that's what I feel hearing this kind of song for him, John, if that makes sense to you. No, that makes tons of sense. And, you know, I was going to say, um, I was going to say my feeling about something like Jump relative to something like this is you're right. This is more, 
conventionally I'm going to go kick your ass music, but jump kind of has a personality to it. And um, this is like a, this is like a feeling I was talking about last time I was on. I think when we were talking about like Thunder Rose's music, like some music like evokes generic ass kicker, which I think doesn't always offer as much as a song could as wrestling music as wrestling as a wrestling theme that is but i mean how much were you supposed to offer for the guy who just is going to come out and lose in eight minutes so yeah great theme song for barry and all japan but you know what else i think about why the hell were they flying barry out i mean i know like american jobbers got flown out to japan other times but what's the value of flying barry horowitz out i lose all his matches i have no idea yeah, I mean, you look at the cage match, and uh, he's in there teaming with, like, Al Perez and uh, Sunny Beach, and, and so many, like, there's so many random guys in 90s All Japan undercards where you look at them and, like, wait, he was there too? And, yeah, Barry was, he was one of them for, for multiple tours, too. They, they multiple, flew him out for yeah, multiple, multiple tours. tours. Um, my best guess is that, you know, he's a good wrestler. And they must have liked him. You know, he was in there with all the Pillars and Hanson and Johnny Ace and those guys. So he kept getting brought back. You know, that's that's my guess anyway. I don't know. So, Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure that's probably the case. I just imagine the flight didn't come cheap. But I guess, you know, someone's got to lose to Richard Slinger or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's where, <laughs> that's where you fly Barry in for. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of that, um, we have one more All Japan theme here. And this one I did find footage of him using on YouTube. Uh, it's a fan cam of Barry versus Richard Slinger. Yeah, I watched, that's, so, why, I, that's uh, why I said that. <laughs> I watched the same match. Yeah, good old Dick Slinger there. Uh, th- this, is, um, this is Michael Jackson featuring Heavy D off the album Dangerous. This is Jam. definitely an episode of hard pivots <laughs> we're pivoting back to the pop world here uh, michael jackson the king of pop got the new jack swing the dancey grooves the funky beats the live vocals and we talked about pop that pussy being a tad out of place in 90s all japan for very obvious reasons well this is too in a way i think it's it's a much more family friendly song than two life crew is but it's still like the dancey pop stuff it just it doesn't vibe with the heyday of All Japan Pro Wrestling to me. It, even though it's a good song, and a very popular one as well, I think something like, you know, Cinema fit the tone better than this one does, John. I think you're right, but I think Jam is a weirdly cool 
uh, wrestling theme. I mean, in part because the main vocals don't start until about a minute 20 in. It's real rhythmic and repetitive in that intro. It's kind of setting a groove. Um, I hear what you're saying that that specific vibe and groove is out of place in all Japan. But when I saw that uh, he came out to jam, I was like thinking about it for a second. And I was like, that's a cool, that's a cool wrestling entrance. Um, I imagine not much thought went into it. I mean, jam was pro I mean, jam's music video was such a big deal. I imagine he just saw it once and was like, I don't know that many songs. How about this one? <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a cool intro. I mean, like you said, I'm sure it was weird. Um, but, you know, the vocal, I mean, he's probably in the ring 40, 40 seconds before vocal starts. Get some of those uh, those Michael Jackson like, ad libs in there. <laughs> cool walkout. Yeah, I agree with that part for sure. It's just, you know, the music is such a, a dichotomy for me with the promotion. Um, but the lyrics, you know, it's a good thing they don't kick in right away because I think the message of the song doesn't really gel either because the song is about, like, escaping the problems of the world through music and dance and we need to look deep inside of ourselves and we need to build a better world through cooperation and love and, and that's all well and good, but... This is pro wrestling, baby. This is all Japan. This is head drops and lariats and chops and violence and fighting spirit. So there's a big clash there, too. And and there's a big clash with Barry. He's not like, you know, make a difference Barry Horowitz here. He's just regular old Barry Horowitz coming out to a match. So, yeah, it's a good song, but contextually it's a bit strange, I think. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I agree with you there. I don't I don't really get it. But you know, I watched that clip, that clip, that that, that Dick Slinger match. <laughs> you see him; he does walk out to it in that, um, and it didn't strike me. And I think part of that is because I didn't watch him go against someone with one of those iconic themes. I think if I watched him go against like someone with one of those songs that you instantly remember as iconic of the time, um, it would have stuck out to me. Um, and I'm sure no Barry Horowitz intro made tape uh, for All Japan, so I'm pretty sure that's the only instance we'll ever get of him walking out the jam. Um, but, you know, if if the next entrance was like Masawa's or Stan Hansen, I'd be like, yeah, I don't know if Jam's doing it, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, though, about Barry and his song choices so far. He is on the money in terms of pop culture relevance. You got Jump in the mid-80s, you have these three All Japan songs that all came out around 91-92. He is on the ball with picking these hot contemporary songs. So, you know, kudos to him in that regard, at least, John. But you know how that reads to me? Um, I, it always, with, with wrestlers, especially of the time, the more you learn about them, and I say this lovingly, I think this makes the best wrestlers. But the more you learn about them, the more I'm like, this guy knows nothing of the world outside of screaming into microphones and getting dropped on his head. Um, <laughs> and again, I say that with all the love in my heart. That's um, why we love those them. people. Yeah. That's why we love them because they're fucking lunatics. So when I see the songs that Horowitz chose, I imagine the reason they're all the most famous songs is because they're the only songs he's ever heard. Um, you know, maybe he bought a CD single of a song he liked once or twice. Jump was huge and on the radio all the time. 
the jam music video is like iconic uh two live crew was in the news i bet you he heard that song once and was like that's funny so when <laughs> i hear it i don't think like fingers on the pulse i think like he walked past the pulse once or twice and just made decisions based on that <laughs> <laughs> fair enough fair enough so when he's not doing all japan tours barry is back working for the wwf and he'll be there throughout the 90s until 97, so off and off for a good long time there, but he doesn't get his first WWF theme until he beats Skip in the summer of 95. They finally gave him a song and Titan Tron and entrance and everything. This is Jim Johnston with his rendition of Hava Nagila. is the main event here the centerpiece of the episode and um, i don't know about you john but i hear this and it brings me back to the countless bar and bat mitzvahs i went to as a kid and teenager where they sang this song and danced around because to any gentiles out there uh hava nagila is the song they play at bar mitzvahs and weddings and whatnot where people hold hands and dance around in a circle and then someone gets in a chair and they lift the chair up and down now, the bar and bat mitzvahs I went to had much better instrumentation for Hava Nagila than Jim Johnston. Um, this is basically like a, a presetting on a Casio keyboard <laughs> instead of like an actual klezmer band and all that. So, um, but still, you know, if you're going to give Barry Horowitz music for the first time in the company and you're going to focus more on his Jewish heritage, which they did, then Hava Nagila is perfect, John. You know, I wish I was smart and funny enough when I was 13 years old to request the Jim Johnston version of Hava Nagila for when I went up in the chair at my bar mitzvah <laughs> uh, and just explain the joke to all the other 13-year-olds who don't get it. The, uh, yeah, what a day at work for Jim Johnston this must have been. You just come into the office, look up at the dry erase board, got to do Hava Nagila today? All right, no problem. Uh I have so many feelings about, I mean, obviously you and I have many feelings about this song. We've had to listen to it our, at least through our entire adolescent lives. Um, but boy, the even as a kid watching Barry Horowitz come out to Havangila as a jobber, with the star of David on the screen, I was like, "Is this is this allowed? Are we all <laughs> are we all on the level here?" Uh, it's like it's like shot. I love it. Now, I mean, whatever. Wrestling is a terrible place. I love it, but boy, it's absolutely crazy. And 
the depths of jobberdom that Barry was in. Um, so there's that class of jobbers at the time that I was naming earlier. Freddie Joe Floyd, rest in peace. Um, T.L. Hopper, the goon. Uh, they would beat Barry Horowitz. They would get picture-in-picture picture promos when they'd beat Barry Horowitz. Uh, it's and 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 even when the win comes, it's over skip half of a tag team. <laughs> like it's just remarkable. But uh, I mean, look, I'd be lying. This is why we wouldn't. If this didn't happen, we wouldn't be talking about them. Uh, so it worked. You know, we all. I remember when he beat Skip. Uh, you know, I remember watching it get played back on TV later. Like, I, this is all very memorable. But, you know, and I said this to you off air. Um, the, I, I, as a kid, I have, you know, I'm shown wrestling by older cousins. And it's like a, it's like a tongue in cheek thing for us my whole childhood to, um, to like you know talk about whenever like a jewish guy would lose and um you know whenever raven would lose we'd be like oh why do you think they had why do you think they had him lose today <laughs> uh and you know we're joking sort of <laughs> a little truth in every joke no i'm kidding um so so you know because of that and because of having older cousins who were you know like funny and on top of stuff like this um I, you know, the Barry Horowitz thing is burned into me pretty good. Uh, but like I said, you know, memorable is memorable. This working is why he keeps working for so many years after. Mm -hmm. Yeah, We've talked a lot on this show about how, you know, American companies will give a Mexican wrestler like the stereotypical Latin sounding music or the Japanese wrestler, the traditional East Asian music. Well, this is the Jewish version of that. But the thing is, though, they picked the right song. They picked the right Jewish song here because Havanagila is Hebrew for let us rejoice. And um, I will read the lyrics here for you, John. I'll, I'll, bust, out my, uh, I'll bust out my Hebrew for once in my life. So uh, That's brave. Um, Havanagila, 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 Venismecha. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad. Hava Niranana, Hava Niranana, Hava Niranana, Venis Mecha. Let us sing, let us sing, let us sing and be glad. Uru, Uru, Uru Achim, Uru Achim, Belev Sameach. Awaken, awaken, brethren, awaken, brethren, with a cheerful heart. So it's a celebration song. And when does Barry get this song? After he beats Skip. He is celebrating his first win in forever. So they didn't just pick like a random Jewish song. They picked a song that is part for the story, John. You know, Andrew, I get what you're going for here. And I think it all lines up. But I cannot imagine Vince McMahon putting that kind of thought into this. Oh, uh, listen, <laughs> I, this is all my own Vince conjecture McMahon was here. just like, what's the Jewiest thing? I can, yeah, right. <laughs> This is all my own reading into this thing. I, I, I guarantee you Vince was not like, yeah, that's, that's the idea here. No, no, Vince was like, yeah, well, goddamn pal, I heard one of these uh, Jewish songs at a wedding once, I think. Just go with that one, I guess. That, that's my feeling anyway. So um, Yeah, I think that's probably generous for how Vince said it. 
<laughs> but uh no 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 but you're right i mean it's it's very appropriate even though i just imagined vince mcmahon said play something jewy <laughs> um but you know i mean as celebration songs go it's no me so horny but it's a uh, it's a good one you know i also because i you know i haven't really revisited that this this stuff uh in that much detail i didn't realize he didn't start coming out to Havana Nagila until after he beat skip um I thought that had just been his thing. Uh, no, as far as I know, he didn't get any music in the WWF at all until he beat Skip that time. That's that's this first theme there. So, yeah, there you go. Oh, that's cool. That's kind of cool. Because, I mean, yeah, I guess they probably weren't, like, showing his entrances or something because they were establishing that he was losing. And he'd lost. He'd been losing matches to Skip in the lead up, I thought. Well, whatever. That's cool. That's a cool, uh, you know, gets his big win. How Nagila plays. Uh, saving it for that moment's even cooler. Well, they didn't uh, play it after that. It was for the um, the SummerSlam match against Skip. That's when it debuted, I believe. So. Right, right, right. That's what I mean. But it playing when he finally gets that roll-up. Um, you know, feels like going up in the chair, baby. Feels like breaking no, that no, glass. No, 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 no. <laughs> when he beat Skip for the first time, there was no music. They debuted Havana Gila at SummerSlam for the rematch against Skip. Oh, that, got you. Well, you know, never mind. How, <laughs> never mind. The song sucks. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. But they kept he kept it for the rest of the time he was there, right? Because he becomes like yeah, a, he becomes like a character. That, uh, all right. Um, yeah. Well, you know. Like I said, it worked. You know what? You know, on the flip side of this, though, um, I was trying to think of like other times a wrestler's religion um, fell into their character to see if it ever mirrored the way um, the way it worked for Barry Horowitz. And the first thing I thought of was like Mystico, who, you know, Christianity or Catholicism is his whole gimmick. And then he becomes the most popular wrestler in the country and is the observer wrestler of the year. So yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, with, with having Aguila in particular, you know, it has a good tempo. It's zippy. It's upbeat. It's not like, you know, Shema Yisrael. <laughs> Adonai. But you know, the crowd know, singing it, along well with... <laughs> would be huge. That, that, that'd be a sight to see. That'd be a sight to see for sure. But but yeah, it works very well for like the pace of a wrestling entrance, I think. Um, and really, you know, this is pretty much as far as they went with, you know, leaning into the Jewishness with Barry. He didn't start wearing like, you know, a yarmulke or a tullus. He didn't refuse to wrestle on Shabbat. Like they kept it to Havana Gila and the Star of David pretty much. And instead, they made him dress more like a nerd with glasses and the button up shirt and pocket protector and it's like, yeah, there are Jewish nerds out there. I mean, you know, look at us, for God's sake. But, <laughs> but you know, this is Vince McMahon and the WWF. They could have made it way Jewier than this, John. It, it could have been way more on the nose, I think. All right. You know, I was about to, I was about to object <laughs> pretty loudly. But I think the way you summed it up is where we can agree. With Vince McMahon, it could have been a hell of a lot worse. Because, uh, you know, you can say... Um, they didn't lean any further into uh, 
his into his Judaism and the character than than this. But walking out to Havanagila with the Star of David on the screen is pretty much as far as you can lean into somebody's Judaism <laughs> without getting into some kind of trouble, I think. <laughs> That's why I'm surprised. Like again, it's it's Vince and the WWF, you know? I mean Yeah, no, we, we dodged a bullet. As a people, we dodged a bullet that they stopped there. It's the same company that did Saba Simba and the Mexicals on lawnmowers and a billion other things, for God's sake. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, later yeah, Barry never... Horowitz um, tags with Hakushi, I think, right before he leaves. And it's just, the, you just put those two on camera together and it's Vince McMahon at his finest. <laughs> just his, the, his understanding of other cultures right there on screen for you. Yeah. You know what they could have done? I thought of this the other day. It's a great idea. Whenever Barry lost a match, they could have played the Mourner's Kaddish. <laughs> you know, he gets he gets beat one, two, three, and all of a sudden you hear Yitkadal, Vietkadash, Shamedaba, Bealma, Divrahirote. It's it's gold, John. I'm telling you, it's a golden tragic. idea right there. <laughs> oh. You should have had the pencil. Ah. Uh, what could have been two? Yeah, I, I was two or three years old right then, yeah. <laughs> Uh, when the next Barry Horowitz comes around, I'm making sure you get the call. Uh, yeah. By the way, I hope all of the Jewish listeners out there are enjoying these references as much as I am. Because I'm I'm having a ball here, man. Uh, a, a, a matzah ball, if you will. Folks. <laughs> hey. Yeah, no. Um, this is my favorite episode of... <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite episode of Music of the Mat uh, to date. Uh, no bias. This is for a very select audience. I mean, also, <laughs> yes. for what it's worth, uh, a little pulling back the curtain. Um, when Andrew came into the Voices of Wrestling Slack uh, to ask if anyone wanted to be on this episode, my response was, all right, I mean, if you're looking for a Jew to do it with, I'll do it. And Andrew <laughs> was like, yep, that's it. It's yours. <laughs> so, well, listen, I, I can't, here we are, I can't folks. get the reactions on air to these references if a fellow member of the tribe isn't with me. So I, I have to get someone to bounce off of, for God's sake. So <laughs> No, trust me, Andrew. I felt like it was my duty to be here, and it's an honor to serve. So Barry leaves the WWF in 97, and he hops over to WCW. He'll be there for a few years. His first theme there is when he had from November of 97 to May of 98. It's from the BRG Music Library. It's by Rick DeFonzo, and it's called Screw in A Minor. First of all, um, you have to be very careful how you say that title, because <laughs> I didn't even screw that. in A minor 
and screwing a miner are two very different things. Oh boy, oh boy. I was going to say, screwing a miner, is this another two live crew song? Hey, folks. Um, wow, that, I never caught that. That's incredible. Yes, but, uh, but anyway, gang, uh, uh, we're back to the instrumental rock here, uh, the production library song that is a, uh, a staple of WCW, and, um, yeah, I don't know. There's not really much to go on here. Uh, tonally, kind of reminds me of the band Tesla in a way. But um, yeah, this is this is a real downgrade from Havana Gila, John. That's for sure. Oh yeah, it's a bummer. And I think, I mean, as these, um, you know, like free use songs go or whatever, I think this one's. I appreciate this one for not giving me the the aforementioned. DVD menu's been on too long feeling um but it's not much better than that I also appreciated um that you provided me a list of other wrestlers they didn't give a shit about who got this theme (laughs) um and I'll let you uh I won't spoil that list if you were gonna touch on it but I did I couldn't believe Reggie White came out to this the football player yeah he used it for his match against uh Mongo at yeah. December 97. Yeah. Against Mongo. All right. All right. Maybe they did put some respect on Rick DeFonso's screwing minor. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Like you said, I mean, this was, there was a lot of themes like this looking back at uh, WCW of the time, especially like on the Saturday night show. I feel like on the Saturday night show, you could have played this song for every entrance and have even noticed. Um, but uh yeah, it's just a big nothing burger. Uh, got got very little for this one. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised they didn't continue with Hava Nagila at all. Because, yeah, on the one hand, they never really featured him as like a character like WWF did. He was back to being like, you know, just a job guy on Worldwide and Saturday Night. But still, it's his most well-known song. And it's public domain. Anyone can use it. But they decided to just drop it all together for this song instead. So, yeah, it's weird. It, it reminds me of when I did the British Bulldog episode, how when he went back to WCW in 98 after the screw job, they didn't give him Rule Britannia right away. He had, like, a generic rock song at first. So, yeah, it's a bit strange to me, I guess. I don't know, John. Well, yeah, and I think it's especially strange because of how not shy WCW was about capitalizing on work WWF did. Um, and you know, why, what's the sense in not having him just walk out to Hava Nagila? Uh, and no matter what you thought about Hava Nagila as an entrance, it's memorable. And that's, that's the real currency of wrestling themes, uh, that you remember them. Um, sometimes when I think about how WCW treated music back then, uh, and the, the bulldog thing is a, is another great example. Sometimes I'm like, did you guys notice that in the other company, like the theme songs were like a major property uh, for all the things you were willing to take? For, and I also, I was a WCW kid. When I say take from the other company, like I was very slow to come back to WWF. I say this all with love. Uh, I was a Nitro kid. Like I didn't come back to WWF as like my main Monday night gig until like sometime after WrestleMania 14. Um some stretch after and even then i was slow to to leave wcw but like the these like generic rock themes when you have access to bulldogs theme when you can just play hava nagila 
what's the sense in not? You're just leaving money on the well, I don't know how much money. <laughs> you're leaving Hanukkah gelt on the table. Yeah, I don't get it. But <laughs> um but yeah, as far as other guys who used this song, uh, you mentioned Reggie White, but also Barry Darso, John Nord, Michael Modest, and Robbie Rage. So uh, real real who's who guys right there, John. Yeah, I don't Robbie Rage? What's what's that? <laughs> One half of the tag team high voltage with Kenny Chaos. And uh, I believe he used this for a singles match on Worldwide in 2000 once. So uh, there you go. Oh, there are some names in here that I was going to do the uh, the NBA on TNT. Uh, that we, we play, play for, for, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the final theme of the episode here is Barry's last WCW theme. He had this from May of 98 until he left in March 2000. This is by Bill Lisagang from the Atmosphere Music Library. It's called Hold Your Fire. So this is basically more of the same as Screw in A minor in terms of genre. It's uh, much faster paced though, a lot more frenetic, um, I think closer to cinema in that regard, but uh, still it just doesn't feel like the right fit for Barry Horowitz post Havanagila. Just, it's not the same. And um, unlike Jump or Pop That Pussy, it doesn't have the fun factor either. So um, yeah, we're kind of ending on like a generic down note here, John, but uh, you know, <laughs> what can you do, I guess? What can you do? Yeah, I, same deal as the last song, um, though I do think this is more of the like the Capcom guitar music that makes me feel like nothing's happening um, than Screw and A minor was. Um, but yeah, same deal. I think um, maybe these generic nothing themes were suitable for... There is a Barry Horowitz heel turn that's incredible to see footage of. Uh, toward the end of his WCW run where he's bad Barry Horowitz and I don't know if anything happened that gave him the nickname uh, maybe just one day they said you're bad now um, and he his entrance would be he would wear a vest that had the handprint on the back for this too for the, the pat on the back but the for his entrance he would he would fake the back pat as if the crowd was dying for him to do it <laughs> and not do it and i think it's one of the most like incredible things to watch <laughs> it's him, him just being like yeah i bet you want the backpack i'm not gonna do it for you and everyone being like who the fuck is this guy <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no the very the the other funny thing about horror is wcw run is they do another long losing they, they talk about how he never wins except the difference is they never pay it off they just he just goes away one day. Yeah, bad Barry Horowitz makes me think like 
you know, what in the world would a heel remix of Hava Nagila sound like? Yo. That, that would have been amazing. Like, just crazy big guitars in there, you know. Get Penny Moore <laughs> out one more time. Just tearing up Hava Nagila. Yeah, big shredding guitar solo in there. <laughs> that would have been great, yeah. But, um, but yeah, this song was also used by other guys. Uh, Horace Hogan. Chad Fortune and Lenny Lane. So, uh, yeah, all, all the stars, all the stars are here. Beardy Man, Claude Racine. <laughs> yeah, all the all the big names lining up for their turn to use Hold Your Fire by Bill Lisa Gang. You think Horace Hogan had a call on his uncle to rip that song away from Barry Horowitz because he wanted it so bad? <laughs> That's my headcanon for that one. <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. Um all right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mad. Thank you so well, much for listening. And, and uh, Andrew, just... there's one thing oh. I wanted to pose to you for the for the 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 to, to add to the the history book of wrestling that I caught here um, about Barry Horowitz. Um, if you'll humor me for a minute here, as we know, when they promote, you know, everything that happens in house shows is not canon to the WWF, right? Um, so they'll just say whatever happened on TV, they'll mold the story for whatever they needed to be, regardless of what happened in reality. So I was trying to figure out what was Barry Horowitz's actual first win in the WWF. Um, so I went to his cage match and I looked through, uh, his first year in the company, which was 1987 and he loses every match except one. His first win in the WWF came on December 27th, 1987, uh, against Jerry Allen. And I wondered, he'd been losing to Jerry Allen. Why would he win that match? So I looked up when Hanukkah landed that year. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I was disappointed at first because Hanukkah ran from the 15th to the 23rd and the match was on the 27th. But then I looked. At what the, his prior match was, he hadn't wrestled a match between December 9th and December 27th. So his first match after Hanukkah of 1987 was his actual first win in the company over Jerry Allen. So for all the shit we give Vince McMahon, if you want a little, well, I don't think we have any reason to give Vince, I guess I'm not really in the business of trying to credit Vince McMahon for anything. But if you want a fun story to tell, Pretend that what I'm saying is true and not a thing I just made up. That Vince McMahon gave Barry Horowitz his first win for Hanukkah, a belated Hanukkah gift, on December 27th of 1987. Here's where I ruin it for you. Oh, no! <laughs> According to Cage Match, Barry Horowitz's first win in the WWF, as Barry Horowitz, not Barry Hart, which he did win some matches there earlier in the decade, but as Barry Horowitz, his first win was not in December... It was July 22nd, 87. Barry Horowitz defeats Brady Boone in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. So. Well, then I'm going back to Vince McMahon being an anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That works a little bit better, I think. I think so. <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. <laughs> oops. Yeah. Oops. Oops. <laughs> And now that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mad. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, John, thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun. One of my favorite episodes of all time, really. And more importantly, it was kosher. 
So, uh, you know what? A good pat on the back all around, John. How about that? I'm going to do it into the microphone. Is it picking up? I'm patting. We got it. We got it, yeah. All right, good, good, good. Yeah, this was a, a, a total joy. I, I couldn't have asked for a better a better episode to come back on Music of the Map for. Consider it an early Hanukkah gift. There you go. My my treat to you, my friend. <laughs> Truly, yeah. I'm feeling. I'm in the spirit. Yeah. Uh, any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Oh yeah, I um, as Andrew said earlier, I am a sporadic these days contributor to voice the uh, voicesofwrestling.com. Um, I actually was planning on working some on some stuff for the site today. I also I play in a band called Timeshares. Um, I know that's a tough name to find a band called that on the internet, but bear with me. Uh, we put out an album this year called Limb. So if you uh, if you like I don't know loud guitar and stuff, um, check out Timeshares, the band I'm in, um, and uh, you can find that on all the streamers or whatever. Um, and you can follow me on Twitter at old John Hernandez. And music of the Met is of course, part of the voices of wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great shows on there at voices of Follow the show on Twitter at music of the Met. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T rich voices of slash discord for discussions and comments voicesofwrestling.com slash donate for any donations. Uh, just click the big donate button beneath the name of Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Uh, John, thank you again. I'll see you around. Thanks. See ya. All right. For John Hernandez, I'm Andrew Rich. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas, joyous Kwanzaa, a festivist for the rest of us, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. Cheering at pro wrestling shows in Japan is back, and 2023 is already shaping up to be a big year in the history of pro res. That's why you should listen to the Emerald Flow Show. From the Royal Road to the Green Mat, Paul and Gerard take you into the world of All Japan Pro Wrestling and Pro Wrestling Noah. Not only do we analyze events, but we examine business, who is getting over, what angles are working, or not. Occasionally, we take a look at other Japanese promotions like DDT and Zero One. So if you're looking for more coverage of the world of Japanese wrestling, check out the Emerald Flow Show on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Available on all of your favorite podcast apps.